Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Bino Lion Media presents Business First. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Business First with Sonia Aline. I am your host, and this is a podcast that's dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners think differently about their businesses so that they can perform better in the marketplace. And we've talked about a number of different things since this podcast has begun, but the subject that we're talking about today is a brand new one, and it's an important one uh, because, in my opinion, I also think that it's one that doesn't get enough thought in terms of all the different areas or all the different aspects that business people are required to think about. And so today we're going to be talking about people and talent. And so for those of you who are thinking about growing your business beyond a sole proprietorship or a partnership, and this is the podcast for you. We're welcoming a dear friend and smart man, Marlon Cousin, who is head of the Markin Group, um, which is a human capital firm that offers a range of services that focus on people-based solutions. Welcome, Marlon. Thank you. I'm grateful to have you here to talk about a really important topic. Um, it's one that you're passionate about, and it's the importance of hiring the right the right people. And I think that small businesses, like we, we get that at, at in corporations. Corporations get the importance of that all the time. But small businesses, I think, feel that they operate at a disadvantage because they don't have the resources or they just don't have the, the, the bandwidth to be able to bring in the right talent. But you say that that's the wrong mindset that they should have. Large companies struggle with that, too. Okay. And they struggle with talent. Otherwise, they wouldn't hire our executive search practice. So if they okay. could hire the right people, if they were coaching and training and developing their people, uh, they would not need, have a need for firms like us. But I think that, you know, when you're a smaller firm, I think you have sort of a cachet. I think you have an advantage, more so a disadvantage, because in many cases, small uh, companies grew up within the community. So they know a lot of people in the community. The talent know them. People are familiar with them. And not only that, uh, when you uh, are small, you have more flexibility. You can have more flexibility with people, how you hire them, how you pay them, how you give them overtime, how you flex their hours, et cetera. So I think small businesses where you may think you're at a disadvantage, I think, you know, my humble opinion is that you're an advantage versus disadvantage. And even around compensation, uh, you can be a little bit more creative in how you do it. In many cases, a lot large organizations are confined by how they need to pay their people. And they like to pay their people in a philosophical approach in a range. Well, small companies don't have to do that. And so I think that, again, you're at it more of an advantage, in my opinion, than a disadvantage. All right. Your company is uh, focused on solutions, which is another very kind of corporate uh, phrase. Why are people-based solutions or why is that concept for business really, really important for small businesses to understand? Well, for us, we wanted to be a one-stop shop. So from the onboarding of a candidate to when they're involved in the company till the time they decide to exit, whatever that looks like. So we do everything that impacts the organization people from executive search, staffing, leadership development, uh, training and development, 
Uh, we do everything from consulting, uh, sexual recipe. So everything that impacts the journey of an individual, we provide a solution for for companies. And you'll be surprised that you can bring on a particular talent. And the next thing you know, you're training their sales force. And then also you're helping them and coaching them how they need to exit and employ from the organization. So I think it's critical, particularly for small companies, because I, I'm a firm believer that human capital is probably that uh, is the most important resource, even beyond, uh, in many cases, the product you sell. Because in many cases, people buy from the individual versus the product. Now, you have those isolated situations where you have the quality of product, which makes sense. But in many cases, I've been in many situations where I work for Pepsi, I work for Nabisco. They're really buying from me, although I'm selling Pepsi, Cola, or Oreos. At the end of the day, they're buying for me as an individual. So hiring the right people, part of your leadership team, and making those critical decisions and a diverse decision, I think is critically mm-hmm. important, not only for large organizations. I think it's more important for small organizations because you don't have a, a hundred people, a thousand people. And so if you make one mistake, it has a higher impact than I can hide. If I got a thousand employees, I can hide one. But if you got five employees, 10 employees, it's hard to hide one and has a larger impact on smaller businesses than larger businesses for sure. Before we take a deep dive in in hiring practices and and what people should consider, and you know, we, when we had our, our pre call earlier, you know, you talked a lot about culture, which I think is going to be really important for this this audience as well. Uh, please talk to the audience about your journey. Uh, how long is it? How long have you run the marketing group, and what were you doing before then? So it's been twenty years. So wow. I don't like to say that, but it's been 20 seconds. I can't believe it. So for me, I'll be honest with you. When I left uh, college, I went to Morehouse. So when I left Morehouse, I always had this entrepreneurial spirit. I, I was doing entrepreneurial projects even when I was in high school and even in college. I sold healthcare gloves while I was in college, a business that started called Kosh Healthcare. So I always had this entrepreneurial spirit. So for some reason, this young man, Marlon Cousin at 18, was thinking about how do I begin to develop the skill set and experiences? So at some point, I'm a pilot out of these organizations and make sure I have the right tools in my tool belt to be able to start my own company someday. Now, yeah, pipe dream, thinking about it, uh, went to these major organizations, worked at Pepsi, worked at Monsanto, worked at Kraft Nabisco, excelled to the highest level within the organization. And I tell you, I had this monumental kind of pivotal hypothesis that came in my head. I was sitting in a meeting and we were having a discussion about what color shirt were the salespeople going to wear. And I knew it was time for me to pilot out. <laughs> and so I said, I did not want to have these types of sophomore conversations. I really felt like I can do something different. And so how I started this business as the guy who had recruited me to come into the organization was looking for someone to sort of leave his operation practice. So, you know, true story, went there for a couple of weeks. And after a couple of weeks, he said to me, he said, you know what? You're very, very good at this. You're probably not going to work here very long. He said, why don't you just start your own firm and I'll teach you how to do this. And so wow. I had to go home and sort of think through, is this what I'm really, I really want to hang out this type of shingle. But I'll tell you innately, uh, God has blessed me with this, just this ability to evaluate talent and evaluate skills and evaluate people. I always say that I have this incredible gift of evaluating human behavior, right? Who can be the right talent, hiring the right people. How do I, I can assess an individual because that's what we do every day. We have to assess right. an individual in 30 minutes, whether they can be a good hire for a major client of ours. And so for some reason, he blessed me with that gift. 
And I said, I took him up on that deal. I said, listen, if this doesn't work, I'll go back and I'll give it 12 months. So I had 18 months in the bank. And I said, if it doesn't work, then I'll go back and work for an organization. And that was 20 years ago. So I was very fortunate to be in that situation. Now, I I never thought I would be in this business. But, Mm -hmm. you know, people will say that I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I've started different businesses. I talked about the healthcare business, staffing business. Uh, I talked about I own Planet Smoothies construction. So I've done a lot of different things. Automotive. Uh, yeah. Automotive, yeah. So, automotive. And so uh, when I see an idea, I like to see if it works. And that doesn't mean that I'm always successful. And there have been some failures along the way as well. So hopefully you, you learn from them and you make it better. But at our core, we do human capital. That's what we do for the last 20 years. All right. So you say it was a gift of yours. It's, it's a gift of yours. Um, so what would you say to the business owner who's saying like, I don't know if that's my gift, but I do need to hire some people. I need to bring some folks in to, to move my business to the next level. So what, what should people be thinking about, um, particularly those who automatically feel like they're at a disadvantage to, to be able to bring in top talent? Process and procedures are always critically important. What is having a streamlined process of how we hire? So the first thing I would do is you got to teach your people how to interview individuals that you want to bring into your organization. So once you sort of define who you are as an organization, and I will talk a little bit about culture, but we talk about Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, how do I drive processes and procedures to reach my goal, which is to drive revenue or whatever your goals are. And so in many cases, a lot of us have KPIs to help drive the strategic plans of our business. And so everything should match up to your strategic plan, people, process, everything, product, so always go back to your strategic plan and your map and your guide. So anytime I get out of whack around what I'm doing, I always go back to my first thing is you got to know what you're looking for, right? What are those hard skills that I need in order to reach my goal, in order to run this company, or to do this job? And then innately, you got to think about, okay, am I hiring the right people that can evaluate that talent, right? Just because you manage people don't mean really mean you know what you're doing. The other thing I would say is, and I don't run this all the time, you'll be surprised how many times the job description doesn't match up with what they're looking for. It, wow. I, I would tell you that probably 50% of the job descriptions I read doesn't match up with the person they're looking for. So oh, that wow. type of alignment is so, so important. And then I think the, the last thing I would say, when you get all the processes and procedures right, et cetera, then it's about soft skills. And some of that soft skills deal with the culture that you created, the type of attitude you want to bring in. Can this person talk to another person in a way, what I call a power of influence or whatever the soft skills you need in order to drive your organization. So I think sometimes we get the right person, but they suck at managing people. And sometimes they, they, they're great at engineering, but they're, they don't have any creative skills. So those nice. soft skills, I think, are critically important as well as you start to evaluate talent in your organization. So if you have those fundamentals in place, regardless of whether you can identify talent or not, if you're consistent in your process and how you evaluate talent, you'll make less mistakes. You're, you're always going to make mistakes because in some cases, in many cases, sometimes you go with your gut. I got to believe that Sonia is the right person to bring in my organization, no matter how with them, et cetera. But that will help you not make as many mistakes when you have the right process and procedure in place, for sure. All right. So I, I do want you to t- talk a lot more about about culture. One of the things I, I've learned from you in an interview I had done with you a long time ago was, you know, you always say that people 
didn't really don't fail in an organization because they don't know what they do. It's because they don't fit into the culture. Small businesses, and correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes I feel that even uh, professionals who are in organizations who feel like, you know, I have to leave, it's because they never really got the, the, the culture. They never really understood and never really fit in. And so now they're running their own companies. What should they know about culture and how important that is to how your products and services are received and how you bring in talent to make sure that they make the right decisions for you as well. You'd be surprised that even when I deal in my volunteer work, even dealing at Morehouse, sometimes Morehouse is not for everyone. And so some students will fail because it's just not the right fit. And organizations are particularly not the right fit. So, you know, culture is so important. I mean, creating the right culture, which is many cases is designed around who you are and how you operate. So in many cases, it talks about who you are as an individual and how do you bring those values to an organization. So if you look at it, for example, what are those things that set policies and, and what I call the humanization that help drive the behavior and the procedural pieces in my organization? That's what I talk about, the procedural norms, how you identify so let's take uh, Chick-fil-A, for example. It's down here in Atlanta, across this country. One thing is consistent, customer service. That is their culture. They're saying this, this is going to be one thing that we do exceptionally well. And, and you know what? This organization doesn't work for you if you don't believe in that philosophy. Right. And I, I, I've known them to remove people because they didn't have the same type of service or customer service or that interaction point. Now, what people will tell you is, well, you know, they pay a lot of money. That's why they able to do that. They're not the highest paid company in, across the country. So how do you how do they get minimum wage or a little bit above minimum wage high school students to give exceptional service no matter where you go in the country? Because it's the culture, Walmart's culture is right. We want to be the low price leader. So every Walmart you go in, this is how philosophically they want you thinking about their organization, about the brand of their organization. So when you talk about companies like Chick-fil-A or even Disney, for example, they, they their culture is we want to create an experience for you. And they so they hire people that can give you those type of experience. So in some cases, you know, if you're an introvert, in many cases, you may not work in certain organization. If you're an extrovert, you may not work in certain organization. If you're structured, if you, for example, I'm a firm believer that Coke has a, a, a philosophy of collaborative. If you're not collaborative in that environment, you're not going to do well. Pepsi is going to be more entrepreneurial. All of these things are critically important as a part of what culture they've defined. And so when you talk about small businesses, and this is where the disconnect in many cases, they say, well, Marlon, I'm too small. You know, culture doesn't really work. It's, it's, right. it's, I'm too small. It, these are for big companies. You know, it's probably more important for small companies to have a culture, whether it's a culture of excellence. So regardless of who we are and who we're trying to serve, and you talk about our automotive service place. Uh, we're going to perform operational excellence every time we do it. We have a 15-step process that we use every time on every vehicle. And it's our culture. This is what we do. And so we try to create a culture that we're going to give you the Disneyland experience in an automotive uh, repair shop. And so, so everyone we hire have to have that same attitude. And if they don't, it, it doesn't work for us as an organization. They will not fit. And they'll feel like the eyeball out. We speak. We meet our customers on the lot. And so sometimes we run into a situation where uh, at other institutions, they don't do that. And we have to train them to do that. And we, we've removed some people because they just didn't want to do that. But that's just who we are. So however you define who you are, 
and how you define what you like your culture to be would be how you live your life every day. But one of the things I, I find pretty interesting, we typically define cultures on who we are. You know, I'll tell you that my own experience is I wanted to develop an organization that lived by the philosophical principles that I believed in, which is hard work, integrity, honesty, and the ability to do exceptional, extraordinary work. And sometimes you don't find that in large organizations. So that was a conflict for me personally. So I said to myself, if I had an opportunity to start my own company, everyone that I'm around, so even today, everyone I'm around believe in that philosophical approach that that I, again, I breathe every day. And so that is one of the things that is my culture, which I think is critically important to our success. All right. And so how do you, you know, listening to you talk about the, the culture for the automotive business, you know, I'm thinking of businesses that I've experienced that, you know, I, I would have one experience when the owner is there and it's an amazing experience. And then if I happen to go back when the owner is not there and someone else is there, it's a very different experience. And in, and in one case, it was a restaurant. There was this thought that, you know, that someone should know, you know, when to take your order or how to take your order and, you know, when to pick up your plate and how to drop your plate. But it kind of missed, you know, we were having a discussion around all of this, but they, they did miss that part that there's a, there, it, it, even for someone who's a waiter or a waitress, it's more than just picking up a plate or picking up a, um, a, a dinner item. It, it's really a culture in terms of how you get served. Uh, in that case, the culture have a break in the a leak in the crack or a leak in the roof, but uh, it breaks down. But th- hopefully somebody can recognize this. And you know what? I- I've pulled employees to the side. So you know what? This may not be a good place for you to work. It's not because you're not smart. It's not because you can't do the job. It's really just maybe not a good fit for you. And so fit is so important for, I mean, you know, if you talk about Google, Fit is so important to them in Amazon. They take you through a rigorous process. Yeah. Uh, we have candidates go through a rigorous because fit is so important. We have other clients that take you through a psychological exam to make sure you're the right fit. That's how important culture is to them, to make sure you're the right fit. So above and beyond skill set, experiences, et cetera, is it, are you the right fit for our organization? And so what should a business owner, if they're beginning to, to look for talent, how can they start to structure the search, like they're, they're, you know, they're, they're probably not going to do a psychological exam. You know, they're, they're not going to have a 10 level um, interview process. But, you know, what should they be considering? So I'm probably a little different. I think that small companies in, in, in some cases, they should still go through their process. So, again, relationships are so important because here's what happens. In many cases for small companies, you grew up in the community. In many cases, you hire people from the community. You want to hire people from the community. People are familiar with them. So what I say the first thing, some of the best employees are from your customers. I can't tell you how many times we've hired a customer's son or their uncle or their cousin because they're looking for a job. You say, listen, I or, or this happens all the time. They'll bring them in, get their car service, say, hey, you guys are hiring. Yes, we are. Your uncle is great. We know you're a great kid. We'd love to bring you on. So don't discount that that is your pool uh, that's readily available for you to hire. That's first okay. thing. I think the second thing is, again, process procedure. I'm big on process procedure. Follow your process and procedure so you don't make as many mistakes. All right. Reach out to your labor, you're always the labor uh, department in your community. It's always important. The Chamber of Commerce is very important. They always know when people are looking for jobs, et cetera. And then I would say the last thing is, again, you are more nimble so you can do 
some different things. For example, we can bring you in for a half a day to train with one of our techs and make sure that this is what you want to do. And we can see how you interact with customers. We can see how you get along with the other employees. We can take you on a ride with, with a customer, et cetera. Big companies in many cases can't or don't have the time to do that. So again, your nimbleness is your advantage. Use that to your advantage. So we can do it. We'll bring you in for half a day. You can evaluate a lot in a person in half a day, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost you anything. You make them sign a waiver. And then you can get a good sense of whether it'll work or not. Again, you're nimble. Use it to your advantage versus your disadvantage. I'm a firm believer. Don't use it because you're small as an excuse. Use it as an advantage because, again, the big companies, they're not tied to communities. They're not going to uh, community organization meetings, et cetera. They're not doing that. So you are involved in the community. You're going to those local community activities, et cetera, the YMC, et cetera. They're not going. So use that to your advantage versus your disadvantage. So and I think a lot of small companies don't use that uh, as a tool when they're hiring coaching people, et cetera. So and I, I want to go back just a little because you mentioned process a lot. So what's really important for a small business to have is, is to make sure they have a process in place, to make sure that they have, number one, that they understand who they are as a company, right? And they understand what the processes are that they have in place that someone is going to have to execute or carry out. This is the real world. Many of us, man, we, we're battling against the Amazons of the world for talent. Mm-hmm. And other big companies. So as a result of that, you know, we, we're just trying to get bodies. So what happens when we're trying to get bodies? We, we break down our process. I just want to get somebody that's walking, right? And so what happens is you make a bad hire. So now you spent all this time training, developing that person. You spend all this money uh, from an onboarding standpoint, and then they leave the organization. But well, that doesn't do you any good, right? So In many cases, we got to stay true to our values, our values around hiring the right people, having the right process and procedure in place so we can have the right people. Now, but there's a chicken and egg. I mean, I didn't. Hey, Marlon, I I got a a waiter job that's open. Our tables are full. I just I got to hire a body. Right. And so that's that's real world stuff. But when you do that and you consistently do that, you're going to continue to hire bad people. That's going to impact organization around customer service, uh, theft. We've had it all. And and so think about that experience that you had at the second time at the restaurant. I always say that one customer works in degrees of five. You're going to tell five people that may go to that restaurant. It can work one way or the other. You can tell five people about the great experience you have or the alternative. Uh, I like to think about it. I want them to have a great experience. So don't break down on your processes uh, for the because you need a body. Right. Well, it's interesting because that's exactly what happened. So this is a restaurant that I had consistently been been visiting for a few years. And so when I quit my job and decided to have my first business dinner, um, I had it at that restaurant. And it was the first time in all the years that I had been going to the restaurant that the owner wasn't there. And so the people... Fortunately, I knew them, but I was the butt of jokes for the entire night because they kept saying, who chose this restaurant? Like, whose choice was this? And the service was so drastically different because he wasn't there that night. And so here are five people at a table, right? Four plus me, but four people who will never think about returning to that restaurant. So here's what culture gives you as well. If everybody embraces the culture, they will pull that person aside. Say, listen. This is how we do business. This is how, how we serve our customer this way. This, this attitude, we, here's what you need to do. Don't lose sight of that because 
the manager's not here. This is who we are as an organization. So if your culture is is right, is correct, then in many cases, they will be self-correcting themselves. People like working around people like themselves have the same goals, have the same sort of strategic plan, have the same ideology of how they want to work and be in a fun environment. So John has a different philosophy. When there's a breakdown in culture, the whole organization can feel it. And so the employees take it upon themselves because they are part of the culture. They've embraced it. They've signed up for this culture. They'll say, hey, John, listen, can we pull you aside for a second? Here's how we do this. Is there a problem? Uh, But you should serve them this way. This is how we serve to the left. And this is how we how we entertain our customers, et cetera. So all of that is about how we begin to, I would call it the employees start to self-correct themselves and then they would correct their peers and their colleagues, et cetera. That's what you want to happen because as a manager, you cannot manage everyone. everyone Sometimes yeah. the culture will correct the organization the right way if you hire the right people. So once they sign up and they sign up for your culture, then they embrace it. And because that's the way they want to live their lives. In many cases, they have like qualities of this is the type of environment they want to work in. And if they're able to do that, I think you can find consistency around success beyond product. You can have a great product. If you got a sucky culture, people don't like working there. Let me tell you, your product is not going to get to the customer on time. All those other ancillary things are important for the whole life cycle around selling or service, you're going to lose customers. So uh, I think it's important. Culture is probably one of the most important thing, I think, even beyond product. I even think beyond service. And some companies, they live by their culture. And even using the Chick-fil-A example, you know, small businesses a lot of times feel like they can't afford good talent. But you're saying that if the, the culture is strong and people feel good about where they're working, you may have a little bit more flexibility on things like pay. In all the markets that we serve, and I'll just use Amazon example, they've been very mm-hmm. aggressive because the logistics part of our, our economy now is growing tremendously. Right. So they need bodies. And so they're overpaying in the marketplace. So I know these are real issues that small businesses are dealing with and even larger businesses are dealing with. So you got to think about what can you provide that's uniquely different than just pay and, and right. culture solves against that. Right? right. I really enjoy coming to work and working with the people that I have the opportunity to do every day because I have uh-huh. fun and I feel like what we're doing every day whether it's a Sonia, whether it's John, or whether it's a Peter, they benefit for whatever I'm selling or whatever service I'm providing. I'm, I feel fulfilled, like I'm helping people. So that's all of that's about culture. Right? Mm-hmm. And you can get some of those. You're not going to get all of them. I, I'm, I'm not sitting here thinking, man, you know, $20 an hour makes a big difference. Uh, I'm, I'm not stupid, but I think that you will give those unique employees that want to be with you, uh, although they will make $5 a little bit more at another company, because of the culture that you've created, because mental health is so important these days. And so people, uh, particularly coming out of the pandemic or still in the pandemic, that I'll tell you, people are making different decisions about where they want to work in this new economy. Uh, We're still struggling trying to understand what this new economy is going to be. But here's the other thing, what I'll tell you, what we're finding and research is is showing today that the reason why there's so many open jobs today because people not going back in the workforce at a steady pace like they thought they were going to come back in a rush. They're taking their time. And a lot of them now becoming entrepreneurs now because they're not mm-hmm. going back into the office. And so this is why what you're doing is so important because you're going to have this whole segment of the population that, one, are not going back to work. You have you have uh, industries that are expanding or industries that are collapsing as well. 
So the ones that are collapsing, they'll create new entrepreneurs that are out there, new small business owners. And that's why it's important what you're doing is getting this information to them because now coming out of the pandemic, you're going to see this new trend, this new set of entrepreneurs is going to be out there because they're not going back to work. So we got to continue to provide the tools and the resources and tools to put in their toolbox and their tool belt so that when they come out as entrepreneurs, they can be successful and supporting these other businesses that are doing really, really well. Uh, You mentioned uh, another term that uh, you don't really hear small businesses use a lot, but is another important uh, term to understand. And that's onboarding. So once you've made, and I've worked for small organizations where it's kind of sink or swim. You kind of just, you know, you get in there and you, you know, you make it or you, or you don't. And so onboarding is a whole process to really prepare your, your um, new hire to succeed. And so why is that important? Uh, and, and why should small businesses prepare a process to make that happen as well? Let's deal in the real world. I need a body. I needed to start work today. I don't have time to onboard a person for two weeks. And so, and then I'm strapped between labor costs and revenue. Those are real world issues that we all face, right? And I know that. So when we talk about onboarding, they're like, hey, Marlon, I need to go to work because I need to generate revenue off of that head. And so what I would say to a lot of small businesses is that maybe you don't do this elaborate onboarding system that you would normally find mm-hmm. in a large organization. Maybe it's only three days and then have a structured plan, work with whatever your onboarding process is. Don't make it two weeks. I get it because I need that right. person, but make it. But it has to be a value added three days that at the end of that three days, at least you got a, an employee potentially that's ready to hit the floor and do a productive job for you. Right. So, again, not stupid that we're all juggling revenue, labor, mm-hmm. right? And expenses. Understanding that onboarding is a key factor in getting an employee ready to work for you. And sometimes a part of onboarding, you have them watching videotapes. Now, here's what I would tell you too. If, it's, if you create the right culture. So what I do in the automotive business, and I think I've created the right culture, at least I like to pretend I did, mm-hmm. is that they will take the tapes when they finish their day. From an onboarding standpoint, they'll take the training tapes at home and study them at night and go through the procedures at night. And so when they come back the next day, they're ahead of the curve because they've done the work at night. They don't get paid for it. But right. They want to be a, they I've created a culture that they really want to help their friends that are working alongside of them. And so if you create that culture of I really want to work in dynamic with this great person that I'm working beside that believe in customer service, believe in a customer experience is what I call it. And experience Mm -hmm. talks about at every touch point within your organization, your customer should have a positive experience, right? Mm -hmm. So a part of it is that they'll take it upon themselves. Hey, you know, Mr. Marlin, I'll I'll, I'll look at the tape tonight. Well, I'm not paying them to look at the tape tonight, but because of the culture that you created to do so. So I think there's a way that you can do onboarding in a condensed fashion. Make sure it's effective, right? Make sure it hits the points that you need to get that person to start being productive. And then you can have ongoing onboarding. But I'm also a firm believer that never stop training. You should always have, you know, at parts of the year where you're training your employee, whether it's on a new process or procedure, whether it's understanding a P&L, whether it's, whether it's understanding the knowledge of the new oils that are coming out, right? right? Whatever that is, you know, I'm doing an onboarding process with one of our recruiters today. Uh, this for the last month. Now I had the flexibility to do a month, but hey, I'll be honest with you, I'm in the same shoes a lot of small business. I, I, I wish he could start generating some revenue for me. Right. But I think you can find a balance between both. I think again, 
You can have a condensed version, but I would say have continuous training within organization. So a part of your culture is continuous training. That's a cultural fit, right? It, it, I know we're going to have some type of training this year because we have a training culture. We don't train because there's something that's gone wrong. We train because we want to get better every year. Whatever that is designed within your organization, put that in place, that people know we do training. They expect it, right? Culture means that they expect some of these things to happen. These are the expectations. These are the goals. And so they begin to expect, hey, when are we going to have training again, Mr. Marlon? Oh, great. I'm glad you asked that. Why don't you help me lead training? Oh, I would love to do that. So, you know, I expect this. And so I'm going to inspect that. So uh, all of that's about, you know, again, condense it so it's effective and get them on board the right way. All right. I'm glad you mentioned the you know training several times a year because industries are always evolving. There's new legislation coming out. There are new competitive products that are coming out. Technology is changing the way we do business rapidly. And so it would make sense, right, that, that, that everybody is up to speed on how we can be better uh, and more competitive in the marketplace. My advice would be there, there are vendors that you use that will offer free training. So uh, let me give you an example. Obviously, in the search business, it's easy because LinkedIn is always doing training and it's free for us. So I sign my recruiters up on, on training, how to engage with candidates or how to find great candidates. So again, no expense to us, but your, your employees are being trained. Again, they are a vendor of ours. Same thing with the automotive business. We have some of our oil vendors, whether it's our parts vendors, that we do training on new procedures around transmission flush or whatever that looks like. Well, I don't have to train them. They'll come in and train them. We're already buying product from them. So I think there are ways, again, small businesses, we are nimble. So we can do those types of things. But again, there are some things out there, Song, you don't have to pay for it. Your vendors would love to be connected with you or partner with you with some of their training courses. They want to get them filled. So let's help them do that. So again, no expense to you, but you can have a training calendar in place that subset what you're doing from uh, a day-to-day workday standpoint as well. So what if you happen to make a bad hire and have to let someone go? Well, you, you, that's, that's inevitable. We all make bad hires. But I'm still a firm believer that, you know, we don't fire people, people fire themselves. Um, how many times have, have you ever discontinued an employment of a, an employee? They say, oh my gosh, they were relieved. Because they know, they know. So I would tell you this, even to this day, it's, it's probably the toughest thing to do, right? I'm a firm believer that you take them through the process, whatever your process is, verbal warning, second verbal warning, write-up, second write-up, development plan. And then at some point you get to what I call judgment day, where it just doesn't work and you have to discontinue the relationship. You know, I believe that I can look at myself in the mirror every day as long as I'm being open, honest, consistent, and fair. I'm okay with sleeping at night making a decision whether I got to discontinue my relationship with a particular employee. I'm okay with that. But again, open, honest, consistent, and fair. Meaning you're going to always get direct feedback from me. Good, meaning I'm making deposit. Hey, good job, John. But I'm also, if I need to make withdrawal, hey, we could have done that a little differently. And if I had to put them on a development plan, they're clear about what they need to do to get out of that development plan. And again, I take them through the process. Now, small businesses, they're like, I don't have that kind of time. So you have to decide that that's my process of how I evaluate, you know, my people. You can design your own process. In many cases, you know, a lot of us are in right to work state. So we don't need a reason to fire someone, right? We can let them go. But I think that if you want to have uh, a 
because people talk. It's a small world. People know, hey, I didn't have a good experience. And people know. And so people talk. So again, I'm, I'm a firm believer. I have a process in place. It doesn't have to be as detailed as we do it. But whatever your process is, make sure it's open, honest, fair, and consistent. And as long as you're that way with all of your employees, they will respect that. And uh, and the people that you hire who say, I heard John work here. Why didn't that work out? Well, I went through my process. Let's make sure it doesn't happen with you. I think you're going to be a great hire. Uh, but John was having some issues with X. And so, you know, so I, again, I'm, I'm pretty consistent in how I do things. And so it helps me make those decisions a lot easier because I get to what I call judgment day. I said, there's no, no more I can do. And it just doesn't work. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And I get that. And it's okay. And, and what I found in many cases, John already knows he's going to get fired. Right. <laughs> people, will, people will hold on as long as you let them hold on. Right. That's true. And so I, I've been in these situations where uh, employees been upset uh, when they've been sad. And some are relieved. Oh, God, I was wondering when you were going to fire me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just waiting. Man, I was, hating, I was hating to come to this place every day. <laughs> I wasn't doing well anyway. I was sucking at this sales job. <laughs> Thank you for letting me go. Putting me so, out of my misery. Yes. Yeah. I really have people's best interests in mind. And I really want them to be successful. That's from the first conversation that I have. And I, I will give you every opportunity to be successful. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. It's okay. Sometimes. And it's okay. I, I, again, when I got to one of my companies, the first day, I had to fire 100 people. 100 so, people. 100 people. And so um, if you talk about mental health, <laughs> wow, that was tough. Uh, I, I don't care if it's one person or 100 people. It takes a lot out of me. Yeah. It takes a lot out of me today. Now, here's what I would tell you, though. In building your own company, a lot of us are building our own companies. I'll tell you, I, I work everyone I work around, I like. I don't work around people I don't like. I don't work around right. people who don't have the same philosophy I have, same integrity I have, that same work ethic of that. Because I have that choice. And I said to myself, uh, if I ever have an opportunity to run my company, I'm gonna be around people I enjoy being with every day. Yeah. And so I am so blessed that I can work around people that I truly, genuinely enjoy being around. Being around, yeah. You know, sometimes we'll sit in the office and talk for an hour because we genuinely, let me change that, debate for an hour <laughs> about politics or whatever, but, but we genuinely enjoy being around each other. But again, we know we got to get the work done. So we may not leave at five, we may leave at eight. So again, that's about your culture too, right? So uh, all of that's important. But in the context of and, I, and I'm just speaking holistically, small businesses, we always got to be sensitive to the fact that they feel like their journey is somewhat different than the large organization. And as I go, I say this point a lot because I want to hammer this home because you're more nimble, use your advantage of flexibility, et cetera, which I think is important. And we and, and so don't get caught in a box as though you can make these things happen. You really can. So small businesses can absolutely operate the way big businesses do because they have the advantage of being nimble, being creative yes, and yeah. being flexible. I'm not constrained by what the company policy is. We do a lot of creative things to try to create an environment that they feel like they are valued and that I really appreciate what you do every day. To your point is, that's an advantage that I have. And I, and I leverage the heck out of it. I leverage the heck out of it. Or I can decide... You know, at the automotive place, we had a good month. You know what? I'm cut everybody an additional check because I want to. That's flexibility because I appreciate them. So, so again, I think all those are advantages, not disadvantages. Okay. Well, thank you for 
um, all the insight and all the strategy. Uh, I think it was an important conversation, particularly for small businesses to understand um, the importance of talent. And like I said, when I opened the show, I think it's one that we don't spend enough time talking about because like you said, the, the realities of business just push us to, yeah. to make things happen quickly. But um, we want to make sure that we spend time to, to hire the right people, train them uh, so that we can continue to grow and, and be the best that we can be in the marketplace. Thank you, Marlon. Business First is hosted and produced by Sonia Aline, edited by Ken Johnson, executive producers Ken Johnson. Find the Business First podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Business First podcast is a mean old line media production.